0: In today's brief, we'll talk about fragile defenses in Zaporizhia, Evgeny Prigozhin's fall from favor, and death in a fiery crash. I'm Rob Godet, contributing editor, coming to you from Hamburg, Germany, and today is Thursday, August 24th, 2023. Happy Independence Day of Ukraine! You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief Podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Yulia and Linnea are en route, as am I, to Ukraine. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that on August 22nd, Ukrainian forces destroyed 480 troops, 11 tanks, 12 armored personnel vehicles, 23 artillery systems, and 12 unmanned aerial vehicles. Those are drones. In the eastern theater of operations, Russian forces attempted to advance towards Avdiivka and Marinka, both in Donetsk Oblast but their efforts were unsuccessful. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces continued defensive actions along the southern flank of Bakhmut in Donetsk Oblast. In the southern theater of operations, the AFU gained ground near Robotine in Zaporizhzhia Oblast, with the 47th Brigade entering the settlement and organizing the evacuation of civilians. Ukrainian offensive operations are continuing in the direction of Melitopil. According to the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, Ukrainian forces are approaching the second line of Russian defense, which could potentially be weaker than the initial defensive line in the area. ISW reports that they have not observed any new Russian formations or units arriving in western Zaporizhia Oblast aside from some minor transfers and the introduction of elements of the so-called Akhmat Yug Battalion, a Chechen paramilitary organization earlier this month. Some assessment here. All of the ISW analyses of the Russian situation in Zaporizhia paint a pretty bleak picture with limited options for Russian command. There are only a very small number of units available for reinforcements, and Ukraine is maintaining pressure on multiple fronts. According to the information available, Russian forces appear to be unable to plug all the leaks, leaving a fragile defensive line. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian troops successfully gained ground near Novoprokopivka in Zaporizhia Oblast and are consolidating their positions. Now, the home front. Russian forces attacked the city of Zaporizhia overnight on August 21st to 22nd, damaging four multi story buildings. No casualties have been reported at the time of recording. A man was injured in Kriviri during a missile strike on Dnipropetrovsk Oblast on August 22nd, and 20 private residential buildings were damaged. In an extraordinary coup by the SBU, or Ukrainian Intelligence Service, a Russian pilot transporting parts for the Su-27 and Su-30 fighter jets between two Russian airbases landed his Mi-8 helicopter at an airfield in Ukraine and immediately surrendered to the Ukrainian authorities. Apparently, the surrender was a culmination of more than six months of work by the Ukrainian military intelligence to bring the helicopter and pilot to Ukraine. The two other crew members reportedly were not aware of where the helicopter was actually flying. The defecting pilot reportedly killed his other crew members, and his family was evacuated from Russian territory. This will definitely go down in the history books, and we stand the head of the SBU, Buldanov. During a recent press conference, a journalist asked Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky if there would be an acceleration of mobilization given the counteroffensive and losses. President Zelensky responded, quote Frankly speaking, the military command addressed me to give them the opportunity to mobilize more. That's it. I can't tell you anything else yet. End quote. Five people were killed and three injured during Russian shelling on the Liman area of Donetsk Oblast on August 22nd. Overnight on August 22nd to 23rd, Russian forces launched 20 drone strikes on Odessa Oblast, damaging a grain storage facility on the Dnieper River. The city of Herson was also a target of airstrikes on August 23, causing a fire at a kindergarten in the Korabelniya district, injuring an unreported number of people. Interior Minister Ihor Krumenko reported that an Iranian source, Shahed Kamikaze drone, struck a school in Romni in Suma Oblast, killing four people and injuring four others. In the temporarily occupied territories, the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported that military operations near the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, ZNPP, which included multiple explosions on August 20th and 21st, pose an ongoing nuclear security risk. The IAEA also reported previous incidents, such as an explosion on August 14th, that was so strong it, quote, shook their windows— followed by sounds of gunfire on August 16th, and another explosion near the plant on August 17th. The ZNPP is Europe's largest nuclear power plant and has been under occupation by Russian forces since March 2022. It currently stands on the front lines where the area experiences frequent shelling, and Russian forces continue to occupy prepared positions at the plant. According to Ukraine's military intelligence, Russian forces are sinking ferry boats in the Kerch Strait in a feeble attempt to protect the Crimean Bridge from attack following several successful strikes on the bridge over the last year. Apparently, Russian forces believe the sunken ferries will create a buffer in front of the bridge, and has already sunk one ferry with plans to sink at least six in total with chain booms mounted to them. Quick question, do they realize how long the bridge is? Like, it's way more than six ferryboats long. Maybe a few sunken Black Sea fleet ships would provide better coverage? I mean, it's a very long bridge. The United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense reported on August 23rd that the continued use of pontoon bridges to link occupied Crimea with occupied Kherson oblast indicates that Russian forces in Crimea and Kherson are facing logistical issues, even weeks after Ukraine struck the bridges connecting the two regions. The strategically important Chondhar and Henechesk bridges appear not to have been repaired, and the resulting bottlenecks have led Russian forces to become at least partially reliant on a long detour through Armiyansk in northwestern Crimea. It's important to keep in mind that Crimea is the central logistics hub for Russian forces in southern Ukraine, and pontoon bridges are, quote, unlikely to be able to fully sustain the flow of heavy vehicles carrying ammunition and weaponry to the front, end quote. A Russian S-400 medium-to-long-range anti-aircraft missile system on the occupied Crimean Peninsula, which is supposedly designed to detect and repel aerial targets from hundreds of kilometers away, appears to have been destroyed. In fact, a photograph taken from a reconnaissance drone loitering completely undetected right above the anti-aircraft system moments after the strike indicates that the program might have some tweaking to do. The Russian MOD, a very reliable source, claimed that two Ukrainian drones flying near occupied Crimea changed course after the Russian military engaged the drones with fighter jets. According to the MOD, the MQ-9 Reaper and the TB-2 Baratar drones were on a reconnaissance mission over the Black Sea when they were detected by the Russian Air Force. Speaking of shooting things out of the sky, let's talk about the Russian Federation and effectively occupied Belarus. Russian media reports suggest that General Sergei Syrovikin has allegedly been dismissed from the post of commander of the Russian Aerospace Forces replaced by Viktor Avzalov. Private Military Company, PMC, Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin lost a fight with gravity. Prigozhin appeared in a video released on the 21st, allegedly recorded in Africa, where the mercenary leader was reportedly fighting, quote, for justice and happiness, end quote. On August 23rd, the Russian Emergencies Ministry, they must be really busy, reported that a private aircraft, quote, came down near the village of Kuzenkino, and of the seven passengers and three crew, there were no survivors. The plane was reportedly traveling from Moscow to St. Petersburg at the time of the incident. Grayzone, a PMC Wagner linked telegram channel, reported the aircraft was shot down by air defenses in the Tver region of Moscow, with local residents hearing two bangs before the crash and seeing two vapor trails. Russian state news agency TASS reported that the craft caught fire upon hitting the ground. The BBC then reported that Prigozhin was on the list of passengers along with other Wagner leadership. Some assessment here. The info space was obviously awash in theories, with some insisting Prigozhin, Dmitry Utkin, and others are absolutely definitely deceased and it was ordered by the Russian military command, and others proposing that he could have faked his death and genetic testing of the recovered remains will inevitably prove that the Wagner leaders aren't dead after all. The video from Africa has some insisting that he couldn't have been in Russia because he obviously was in Africa, while others have thrown out the possibility that the video was green-screened or otherwise manipulated to make Prigozhin look like he was in Africa when maybe he was already dead and the Kremlin staged the flight to make it all look like an accident. It may be worth noting that the 23rd marked exactly two months since Prigozhin led his Wagner Group mercenaries in an armed rebellion against Russia's military leadership, and a Kremlin insider cited the BBC article reportedly reacting by saying, quote, I had a feeling he'd come to a bad end, end quote. Previous theories about Wagner's tiny coup have posited that it was mutually planned and agreed upon by Russian president-slash-dictator Putin and Prigozhin as a way to weed out military commanders who were not totally loyal to Putin, with the expectation that ending the putsch would make Putin look more powerful to the military, the Russian people, and the international community. Instead, Wagner troops easily occupied more territory in Russia over two days than they did in Ukraine. During the entire winter offensive, Putin looked weak and indecisive, and Prigozhin's very presence on Earth made Putin look even weaker and more ineffectual. (laughs) We can't have that, can we? United States President Joe Biden said that he was, quote, not surprised, end quote, by news of Prigozhin's possible death. If I was a betting man, and I'm not, I would bet that Prigozhin is most likely dead. If he was foolish enough to put himself, along with top Wagner leadership, in a single private airplane, then he deserved to be shot down. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Russian newspaper Izvestia reported that some Russian regions are experiencing empty petrol stations, and not only petrol but diesel as well, following historically high prices. Drones struck Moscow again overnight on the 21st to 22nd, damaging cars and a high-rise building in Krasnogorsk in Moscow Oblast. Another drone attack on August 22nd was reportedly intercepted over the Moskaisky district, and a third struck an unfinished building in the financial district. Russian state media reported that Moscow airports were temporarily closed and no casualties were reported. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. I have some breaking news synthesized from the Wall Street Journal, Flight Radar 24 and the BBC. The journal published a lengthy exposé on the final two months leading to Prigozhin's demise, while the BBC and Flight Radar helped me put a timeline together of Prigozhin's last week on planet Earth. It sheds light not only on Prigozhin's precarious position, but on Moscow's malign reach in Africa. To lay some groundwork here, governments in the Middle East and Africa have been facing increasing threats from Islamic fundamentalist-slash-terrorist groups. For reasons too complicated to go into here, the threat has metastasized, leaving weak but democratically elected leaders aligned with the West scrambling to defend against the threat. Militaries in the region have grown increasingly bold in overthrowing the Western-aligned leaders with the help of the official Russian Federation, or through their proxy forces such as Wagner. Countries where Wagner and Russia have been actively involved in coups or propping up militias, military juntas, or dictators include the Central African Republic, Mali, Syria, Sudan, and Libya. Countries with close ties to Russia are Algeria, Angola, Burundi, Equatorial Guinea, Guinea, Madagascar, Mozambique, Uganda, and Zimbabwe. As Putin and the security services within Russia dismantled and took control of Prigozhin's domestic holdings, the Wagner leader spent time assuring his African clients, specifically the Central African Republican government, Sudan's warring militia, Mali's military junta, and Libya's breakaway militia, that his position wasn't diminished and that he was able to continue his mercenary operations. On Friday, August 18th, he flew from Moscow to Damascus, Syria, likely for a refuel, then headed to Bangui, the capital of the Central African Republic. He assured President Faustin Enchange Tuadera that he could continue to provide men and materiel needed to sustain Tuadera's dictatorship. On Saturday, August 19th, a delegation of five commandos from the Sudanese paramilitary group fighting against the Islamic government in Khartoum delivered gold bars mined from Sudan's western region. The bars were payments for providing them surface-to-air missiles. PMC Wagner recently helped the Sudanese militia take the largest police station in Sudan and capture a large weapons factory. Prigozhin reportedly demanded more gold from the CAR and Sudan. Later on Saturday, August 19th, he flew to Bamako in Mali. The next day, Sunday, August 20th, he flew from Mali to Damascus in Syria, and on Monday, August 21st, he flew from Syria to Moscow. The next day, the Russian military was telling Wagner clients in Libya that Russia would be taking over Wagner's operations. Prigozhin, who had a $10 million bounty on his head from the U.S. government for meddling in the 2016 elections and was heavily sanctioned by Western entities, is depicted in the exposé as increasingly paranoid, utilizing various disguises, wearing only clothing that he imported from Syria while in Libya to ensure that there were no CIA, FSB, or GRU bugs, and sending sweeps ahead to ensure he wasn't being monitored he took meetings from his private jet on the tarmac of the few airports that granted him clearance to land in case he had to make a quick getaway. His agreements and plans were known only to a small cadre of loyal lieutenants. Last October, a picture was taken of a disguised Prigozhin meeting with Salafist Libyan warlord Khalifa Haftar. Shortly after the picture was taken, he screamed at Haftar, demanding $200 million in cash for helping secure oil wells in the region. A private jet was sent to pick up the cash the next month. Apparently, he also paid his mercenaries, troll farm workers, and others in cash, sometimes in person. What a good boss. During the coup, Putin wanted to kill Prigozhin. After the coup, elements within the Russian MOD, smelling blood in the water, vied for Prigozhin's vast holdings in mining, construction, finance, and mercenary operations in Eastern Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Prigozhin continued to fight the MOD's moves and preserve his business empire, flying to Mali, leaving voice messages on the Deep State Telegram channel, and recently offered to support the Nigerian coup plotters. We previously reported of the meeting of African leaders held at a luxury hotel in St. Petersburg following the coup, where Prigozhin was in attendance. Putin told Tuadera not to meet with Prigozhin, and he managed to avoid doing so. African leaders instead met with Putin and General Andrei Averianov, the head of the GRU's covert offensive operations unit. Also in attendance was Viktor Baut, the notorious arms trafficker who was exchanged by the United States in the prisoner swap that freed basketball player Brittany Greiner. We also previously reported on Prigozhin's children's book, a mid-aughts self-published disaster called Indragusik, which featured a picture of his wife, daughter, and son. We reported that his daughter owned a luxury hotel chain in St. Petersburg, and his son works for Wagner. His daughter, Polina, apparently also owns a thoroughbred horse racing firm as well. In addition to Prigozhin and Utkin, other Wagner leaders were killed. Valery Chekalov served as Wagner's logistics leader, who managed mercenaries, secured weapons, managed Prigozhin's travels, facilitated oil, gas, and mineral transfers to Russia and China. He was under U.S. sanctions at the time of his death. Yevgeny Makarayan fought with Wagner in 2018 when he was wounded in Syria after coming under a withering U.S. air raid that killed dozens of Wagner fighters in what became known as the Battle of Kasham. Not much is known about Alexander Totman and Sergei Mirjotvorec, Wagner leaders who were also aboard the craft. The family of the senior pilot of the plane, Alexei Levchin, said his work was a, quote, taboo subject. Three others killed were the co-pilot, flight attendant, and a lower-level Wagner fighter. In other Wagner-related news, U.S. Brigadier General and Pentagon Spokesperson Patrick Ryder confirmed that Pugrozin was on board the plane and, quote, doesn't have any information to indicate right now, end quote, that the plane was shot down by a surface-to-air missile. According to eyewitnesses, one of the plane's wings was missing as it, quote, glided, understatement of the month, perhaps, and crash-landed. Unnamed U.S. intelligence officials believe that Putin himself authorized the downing and the plane was most likely compromised by an explosive device, although we have no official confirmation. Putin made his first remarks, speaking of Prigozhin in the past tense, extending his condolences to the families of the, quote, tragedy, and he described Prigozhin as, quote, talented and who made serious mistakes in life, end quote. President Zelensky commented glibly, saying, quote, First, we— he means the Ukrainians, have nothing to do with this situation, but I think everyone realizes who has. End quote. He was busy attacking Russian-occupied Crimea with drones, again, and celebrating Independence Day of Ukraine by lining the streets in Kiev with captured Russian military equipment. This next section may not be suitable for all audiences, especially children. Skip ahead 30 seconds if you'd like to move on. An incredibly gross makeshift memorial was set up outside Wagner, St. Petersburg headquarters, complete with angry-looking pictures of the war criminal and a sledgehammer. The sledgehammer is a reference to a grisly video released in November by Greyzone, titled The Sledgehammer of Revenge, in which a Russian mercenary who tried to defect to Ukraine had his head taped to a wall. An off-camera man in combat fatigues smashed the sledgehammer into the side of his head and neck, then struck him again after he collapsed to the floor. Sledgehammers were used by Wagner going back to 2017 to execute alleged traitors. The macabre symbol became one of PMC Wagner's many logos. We still don't have a clear picture as to why Belarusian potato king and dictator Alexander Lukashenko called Putin and dissuaded him from having Prigozhin immediately killed. Although we know, in the words of CIA director Bill Burns, that Putin is, quote, the apostle of payback, end quote, we don't know what took him so long. We can only speculate that Putin and the MOD needed time to consolidate and transfer Wagner's holdings to others under Putin's control. It's worth noting that after the Wagner base in Belarus learned of the downing, Belarusian authorities shut off their internet and cell phone access to prevent the activation of any contingency plans established in the event of Prigozhin's death. Some of the Wagner leader's last public comments included, quote, We will all burn in hell, but in hell, we will be the best. End quote. We hope he's enjoying his stay there. Moving on to the news worldwide. In Hamburg, Germany today, and many places around the globe, the Ukrainian diaspora celebrated Ukrainian Independence Day. Conservatively, at least 1,000 people were present at the event, which was supported by the public. The Ukrainian national anthem was sung many times, and chants of Ukraini could be heard kilometers away. The Ukraine War Brief podcast congratulates Ukraine on its 32nd anniversary of independence. Eleven countries from southeastern Europe signed the Athens Declaration in support of the territorial integrity of Ukraine during the summit on the Balkans in Athens. The declaration expresses an unwavering support for, quote, Ukraine's independence, sovereignty, and territorial integrity within its internationally recognized borders, based on the values of democracy and the rule of law, end quote. Foreign Minister Annalena Berbock stated at a joint press conference with Estonian Foreign Minister Markus Sakna that the drone strikes on Moscow are legitimate and that Ukraine is defending itself within the framework of international law following Russia's unprovoked and illegal invasion of Ukraine. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan was originally supposed to meet with Putin in Ankara to discuss the Black Sea Grain Initiative, but plans have changed and now Erdogan will meet Putin in Moscow. This has nothing to do with the International Criminal Court's arrest warrant for Putin. The United States Embassy in Belarus has advised American citizens to depart the country immediately in a statement made shortly after Lithuania closed two of its border crossings four lithuanian checkpoints remain open but the governments of poland lithuania and latvia have said that more closures are possible hint more closures will happen let's talk military tech with the support of nato the afu is implementing a psychological rehabilitation program for military personnel using a framework provided by the complex package of assistance to ukraine a project on psychological rehabilitation and development of psychological resilience of soldiers of the AFU According to Pentagon spokesperson Sabrina Singh the US is willing to train Ukrainian pilots on F16 fighter jets if European partners lacked capacity to train as many pilots as Kyiv wants adding that the pilots will all have to receive quote, "significant English language training" end quote, first which is expected to take some time during a meeting with Ukrainian Defense Minister Oleksiy Resnikov on August 22nd, Dutch Defense Minister Geza Ollongren announced that the Netherlands will provide Ukraine with portable charges for remote demining, and committed to continuing to supply Ukraine with equipment needed to defend itself from the Russian invasion, including air defense equipment. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports, and please consider supporting our work on Substack. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back soon with more updates. Until then, stay safe everyone.